0: Amen. You know, why are we here? That's kind of the first question and the big question I want to answer. Why does Frontline City Church exist? Why does this church exist? Why really does any church exist? But more specifically, why would we start a new church at this time? Uh, What's the importance? What's the value? What's the purpose behind it? and uh, maybe you're a visitor, which 80% of you are, um, since this is the sixth service we've had, and you're wondering like, why are they starting this thing? What are they all about? What are they doing? Well, in the next five weeks, including this one, so four more after this, we'll be walking through what we would consider the blueprint of who we are, okay? So it's a really good time to come and check us out and find out if we're you know, total freaks or whatever because this is gonna be an opportunity for you to see all the different aspects of who we are, why we do what we do. Um, Everything we do around here, well, almost everything, has a lot of intentionality behind it. we believe that Jesus is real. We believe that God is real. And we believe that the Bible is true. And we believe that it's actually applicable to our lives in 2011. And so everything we do is an outworking of that conviction. But uh, I want to tell a little bit of my story and a little bit of the decision behind, or really the heart behind the decision to, uh, to start this thing. Uh, does that sound fun to you? You can be loud. You don't have to like erupt in clapping, but you can just say yes is fine too. When I was 13 years old, I had an experience with Jesus that changed my life. I, um, I didn't have a great passion for God when I was younger than that. But at 13, something happened inside of me that shifted me on the inside. And I found kind of like what Annie was talking about, something inside my heart came alive and a hunger and a desire for God started to fill my life. Now, I don't know about you, but um, if you're the average 13-year-old, you know, most 13-year-olds don't have this like hunger for God. We have a hunger for Cheetos, or you know, for uh, you know, video games, or for you know, basketball, or whatever. But usually not God. And for me, this hunger for God began to uh, consume my life, consume my desires, and I experienced Him in a real, powerful, significant, authentic way. And after that happened to me, I started to uh, tell other people about it. And I remember at 13 years old, right here in New Haven, my dad was playing in a Christian music band, and they were they were playing a concert outside. And there was this kid; I think his name was Freddie. That I started to talk to. And I wasn't like a polished evangelist. I didn't know like Christian lingo. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't washed in the blood or anything. I I didn't have any lingo to put with my experience. But I remember sitting with this kid, Freddie. And I was like, hey, um, you know, God is real. And we should pray. You know, it was like, it was terrible. I mean, there was like, there was no like, you know, like incredible demonstration or explanation or anything. And so uh, this kid's like, yeah. And so I begin to pray for him, and he begins to cry, and he begins to experience God's power. And as I saw that, my heart started to turn inside of me, and I was like, you know what? People are hungry for this. This isn't just like Justin and a couple of his friends. Like People all across university campuses, all across the workforce, all across the families of this region are hungry for God. And so you know, I started to tell more people about it and more people about it. And the more I told, the more my heart started to burn for other people who didn't know him. And I began to experience inside of me a deep passion to see other people know Jesus. I remember picking a guy named Harold off the New Haven Green. He was homeless. And I was like 17, put him in my Jeep Wrangler and brought him back to our house and cleaned him up and you know gave him some food and stuff and prayed for him. And I remember me and like three of my teenage friends pray for this guy. And he had ulcers or problems in his stomach. And we began to pray for him. And this, he didn't have the language, which was awesome. He looks at me and he's like, I don't know what you kids just did to me, (laughs) but uh, he's like, but something everywhere feels different, you know? And that was like, we were like, oh man, that's God. That's God. And you know, there's an entire world outside of this building. And even inside all of us here in this building that is in desperate, desperate need for God. And that desire to see people experience Jesus is really the core inspiration behind why we're doing all of this. And then I I remember I gave my life to Jesus, I started attending a church, and I remember I went to this discipleship class, that might be new language for you, but basically that's a class where you become more like Jesus, and so there's about 15 or 20 young people in this class, and uh, I sit down, you know, um, in this class, and I had just given my life to God, just experienced this change, and, um, you know, I sit down to go to this class, And they had given us this book to read every day, you know, like read a little bit of the Bible, read a little bit of this book, bada bing, bada boom, come to the class, you know, be prepared. So I showed up and, you know, the way I thought about it, like I wasn't too keen on homework. I don't know any homework lovers in here, but I wasn't like the keenest on homework at the age of 13 or 14. So I wasn't like thrilled with the whole idea of going home and do something, but it didn't feel like homework to me, you know what I mean? It felt like. God work, you know, which was a lot more fun, and so I went home, and I actually did this thing. In fact, I did it twice. In fact, I did it three times, and by the time I got to the class, I had gone through this book, the week, you know, re- the week requirements of the book three times, and I was like obsessed just to know more of God, and I remember I got to the, to the class, and the pastor stood up, and he was like, hey, all right, uh, let's, uh, let's get out your books. How many of you completed uh, the reading for this week? And I was like, yeah, obviously, we all completed the reading for this week. I mean, this is about Jesus. This isn't homework. Yeah, we course, and I look around, and Nobody else had their hand up. One other girl was like, uh, I don't know where my book is. Another kid was like, um, what were we supposed to read? You know? And like everybody had a good reason. And right away I realized that there was a divide between the expression of saying that I'm a follower of Jesus and the action of acting like I'm in love with Jesus. And now my heart didn't just start to break for the world, for all the people who don't know him. My heart started to break for Christians for people who thought they knew him, but didn't live with a burning, you know, desperate passion to know him. That didn't have a real desire. That didn't love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, they had the outward form, but no inward transformation. And maybe you're sitting here right now, and you're like, that's me. Or maybe you fall into the first category. Well, either way, God has an oppor- you have an opportunity today to experience his life and his power. Isn't that exciting? I think that's exciting. And so, so uh, you know, this is the passion. This started to build in my heart. And when When I graduated college, I got married to my gorgeous wife. And for six years, actually almost seven years now, we've been traveling all over the place. And we've gotten to go to uh, all across this country. We've gotten to go all through Europe. And I've been to the parts of Asia and all different parts. My wife spent some time in India. And we got to just experience and taste of the different aspects of this world. And you know what we found? We found that all over the planet doesn't matter if you're in the jungles of the Philippines or if you're sitting at a, uh, at a youth hostel in, in uh, England. All across this planet, people are hungry for God. There's a universal cry. There's something inside that says, man, I need this. I want this. I'm hungry for this. And it began to build in me a desire to see more people experience him. So we put into a sentence why we exist. We want to throw that up on the screen for you today. Why we exist. If you like to take notes, you might want to write this down so that you know why we exist. Um, Because this is what I'm going to talk about for the next few minutes. Why this church, City Church, exists. Why we are here. City Church exists to spread the lifestyle of authentic Christianity for the glory of God and the transformation of our city. And so for the next four weeks, I'm going to literally be breaking apart this sentence and explaining to you what that really means in practical terms. That we live to spread a lifestyle, not just of the form of Christianity, but authentic Christian lifestyle. A lifestyle that really walks with transformative actions for the glory of God and for the transformation of our city. And we'll get into what that means. But um, I don't know if you were aware of it or not, but we live in kind of crazy times. Does anybody read the news? Nobody reads the news anymore. (laughs) My mom still gets the newspaper. I think she's like one of 12 people that still, you know, gets... Does anybody get the news? Let me see. There's probably some people in here that get the newspaper. You get the newspaper? Four of us? Great. Awesome. Four people get the newspaper. But if you ever, you know, take the time to read on your iPhone app, that's when I read, you know, the news. I won't even tell you that. Yeah, so I read, you know, the news on my iPhone. But, uh, you know, if you ever take the time to read the news, you might realize that we're in kind of an economic crisis right now. Anybody know that? We're like, you know, uh, um, all these, you know... uh, Joblessness and all these issues are, are growing and growing in America, and there's also been, uh, it seems like an influx of natural disasters that are hitting our region and our area recently. I don't know if um, you've picked up on that, but uh, you know, my wife a couple weeks ago, went to Florida to go visit her brother, and she was at the airport in Washington, DC., and there was an earthquake. I don't know if you heard about that or not, but uh, the airport starts shaking, and she calls me and says, "I, I think there was an earthquake." And uh, on her way home, there was a hurricane. And, uh, you know, it's been one of those times where there's natural disasters that are just, seems like every day we hear about another natural disaster. There's a little bit of political upheaval right now. I don't know if you picked up on that. The Middle East is going through some changes. uh, In Libya right now, there's a few things shifting, a few things changing. If you ever read the news, you'll find that economic crisis, natural disaster, political upheaval. But more than anything, I think, there's a desperate moral confusion. Moral confusion, you know, there's a city in Germany named Bonn, B-O-N-N, a city in Germany where they have uh, on this particular street, they have these machines and you got to go to the machine and you have to pay six euro and you get a ticket. And once you've got your ticket, now you can be a prostitute. That's how it works. And so you've got to pay the ticket to be a prostitute. Because they have to get a tax on everything, right? And so you go, and you're a prostitute. Well, hopefully you're not a prostitute. But if you were a prostitute, you would go, and you'd, you'd go to the machine, and you'd pay your ticket, and you'd wave to the guard. The guard's there. And then you, buy, you get your ticket, you hold up your ticket, you keep that in your pocket, and then you go and you do your prostitution. And, you know, there's an outcry right now because people are offended that it's a flat tax. And they're like, hey, listen, some people are making a lot more money than other people at this thing. We should be paying different amounts, does anybody have a problem with the whole system? Like, there's a little confusion. Like, what are you doing? You're getting a ticket to do what? And that's supposed to be okay? Well, we want to keep them in this section of the, of the city. You want to do what? What? We have this ridiculous confusion in our culture, and we think, well, if it was a little bit better economically, things would be, you know, they'd work out, right? Or if we could just stop having so many tragedies and natural disasters, well, if we could get the right people elected into office, this would fix it wrong, wrong, and wrong. That we have a spiritual disease, we have a spiritual condition at our depths, at our souls, the problem is not social, political, economic, although there are problems in all those spheres, we are a spiritual being that has deep spiritual problems. You missed a good chance to say, yeah, that's the truth. I read a long time ago a guy by the name of Charles Finney who you may not know he was a preacher in the 1800s and he gave 7 different signposts for when a region or a culture is in desperate need of spiritual awakening. And what I mean by that is where people wake up to the needs of the spiritual and begin to pursue those things rather than all the other solutions. So he gave seven things. Let me, uh, you know, read them off to you and you decide whether or not you think this describes our culture. Number one, when professing Christians lack brotherly love. Well, we're good on that one. So we can just go right to, uh, no, we're not good on that one, are we? Professing Christians are lacking intense amounts of brotherly love. And you know, in this church, in this region, My passion is not to compete with another church. How stupid is that? But to complete other churches. Not compete, but complete. In other words, where we come alongside and we do things that are in our lane, our way of doing them, that are slightly different than their way of doing them. And so we reach different people with different methods, all for the glory of God and the transformation of our city. But right now, we're in, and that's the DNA of this place, if you stay around, you're not going to hear me bashing other churches up here. You're not going to hear us talking bad about other ways of doing things. Your worship might be different. You might not sing this song or that song, and that's okay. That's okay with us. But this needs to change. Number two is when jealousy and backbiting are found among professing Christians. So we're pretty good on that one, too. No, we're not pretty good on that one. Number three, when the church looks the same as the world. Now, you may be here disgruntled right now. You might be here like, yeah, my brother dragged me here. Or yeah, my uncle told me I had to come. He told me he'd take me out to lunch, you know, if I came to church with him or whatever. And the reason you probably don't want to, some people are like, dang, dude, did you tell him that? You know, no, but the reason you're feeling that way is probably because these words have coming out of your mouth. Man, church is a bunch of hypocrites, right? Well, you're right. Okay, you're right. There's nothing else we can say except for the fact that you're right. But what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? What we're going to do about it is believe that in this region, in this season, God is going to raise up a, a people who are actually living authentically for Jesus, that actually believe what the scripture says, that actually have committed their lives to accountability and to holiness. But right now what we see is the church looks a lot like the world. And maybe you grew up in a family where you said, man, my dad you know, was a, a church leader or my mom was really involved in church, but it was fake and it didn't transfer to home. It's time for that to change. Number four, when Christians, or I'm sorry, when the church is marked by scandalous sin. So I don't think that's really happened much, so we can skip that one. But, uh, you know, maybe you've heard some of the things about uh, sexual sin or money that's been, you know, not exactly spent the right way. Number five, when the world and the church are consumed with controversy. That's happened a few times. Number six, when the wicked succeed and scoff at the church, you know, I think of Wall Street, I think of Enron, I think of all these different issues where people that are, have wickedness in their heart are succeeding and they're just laughing at the whole religious system. They're saying, I don't believe that stuff. But number seven concerns me more than any other concern. Number seven that this guy Finney uh, listed as um, a signpost for when a culture needs spiritual awakening is when people are careless about eternity and run towards hell unconcerned. You know, a while ago I was in New York City My buddy John, who plays guitar, likes to go to New York City, like, every week. So if you like to go to New York City, go find John and go with him. But I'm not so keen on New York City. And you know what I think it is? I think it's the smell. You know what I'm saying? Like, you go to New York City, you get off that train, it's like what is that, dude? It's like a dog that's like covered in ketchup that like just got cooked, you know? It's like, what is that smell, you know? It's like, we don't know, is it on me, you know? It's like, it's everywhere, you know? And it has that smell in New York City, but you know, we were there and we were walking through Times Square and uh, you know, I try to live a holy life and that's one of the things we'll talk a lot about as we talk about our blueprint, but I try to live a holy life and so I'm walking with my wife and we're walking through Times Square and I'm like, oh my goodness, Uh, sweetheart, yeah. There's a bunch of naked people right there and she's like, what? And I'm like, look, and she's like, she's like, Justin, there's, they're covered in blood. And I'm like, okay, there's naked people covered in blood. Let's walk that way. And so we start to walk that way and something just hit me. And I said, I have to know why there are naked people covered with blood over there. And so I, I wasn't going to go cause I'm holy. So I said to my wife, babe, go check it out. I said, you know, tell me what's, what's, uh, what's going on over there. So she's like, fine. So she goes over and she comes back with this look on her face. And I'm like, what? And she goes, the naked truth bullfighting is an injustice. And listen, don't get me wrong. They were protesting bullfighting in New York City. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think they were going to meet too many conquistadors who were going to be bullfighting in Manhattan at that particular time. But either way, they wanted to get naked and cover themselves in blood. And I'm standing next to a cop thinking to myself, why is this okay? Back to the whole moral confusion thing. What in the world is going on here? But what I'm talking about is this, that people are passionate about stupid things. Now listen, I'm not for bullfighting. I'm not saying let's go kill all the bulls with, you know. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is people are going to hell. That there's an eternity. There's a heaven. There's a hell. That there's life beyond this one. That there are things to really think about here. And I'm not against being worried about bullfighting. But maybe we should think about these things first. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying today? You know, if if we're at a place where honestly we think more about our favorite TV show or the fashion than the reality of that fact that we're going to go and die one day, something is out of balance. Something is not right. And what I want to point you today to is the scripture because I believe that God at this time on September 18th, 2011 in New Haven at Co-op High School, God wants to prophesy to every person that has ears to ear. So if you have a Bible, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't, it's okay. Don't feel condemned or uh, guilty about not bringing a Bible. Jesus still really loves you, and uh, you can read it on the screen too, so you don't have to stress that, but uh, we're going to read a passage from 2 Corinthians, and I believe that God wants to speak to you today. 2 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, chapter 5. I believe, <clears throat> go down, water, go down. I believe that, uh, that God wants to say this specifically that this isn't just some ran, <clears throat> random passage. But as I began to pray, and as we began to prepare to launch this church, I felt like as we started this blueprint series, as we started talking about what's valuable and important to us, we have to get to the very core, to the very root, to the simplicity of why we're starting this thing. And here it is in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 20. Therefore, we, that's every person that believes in Jesus, every person in this room that loves him unconditionally, every person that has a passion for him, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Now, you know that an ambassador is somebody who represents someone else, right? We are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. That's what we're doing here, that God is making an appeal to this city, to this region, to your friends, to your family members, to you, through us, that God is using this season and this time to implore you. And it says this, we implore you on behalf of Christ, what? Be reconciled to God. There is good news, and the good news is that you can be reconciled. And he tells you how here. For our sake, he, that's God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, "In a favorable time, I listen to you. In a day, in, the, in a day of salvation, I have helped you." Behold, listen to this. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You want to know why we exist? You want to know what we're doing here at City Church? You want to know why we put all this money and effort and energy into renting this facility and putting all this together and sacrificing our time and giving and nobody's making money. Nobody's getting big bucks. It's a sacrifice. It's a constant giving. Why are we doing all this? Here's the big idea. If you remember one thing today, remember this. I believe and I'm convinced with all of my heart and my prayer is that by the end of this talk, you'll be a little more convinced that now is the time for spiritual awakening to spread across New Haven County and for the resurgence of authentic Christianity. Now is the time for spiritual awakening to spread across New Haven County and for the resurgence of authentic Christianity. What I'm saying is that there is something real worth giving your life for. That there is something real worth living for, worth being in community for, worth having as the center of your life and heart. There's something real and it's an authentic lifestyle with God. And it's difficult at times and it's brutal and there's pain, but there is great joy. And here's the best part about it, it's true. It's true and in a world full of lies, you can experience absolute, real, transformative truth in Him. Now is that time that as we plant our foot here in New Haven today, I believe that in the spiritual realm, something is changing and shifting. If you're here today and the truth is you're far from God and you know that nobody has to convince you of that and you've been stalling and you've been coming up with every good reason why it's like, man, I don't want to get involved with this Christian stuff. I don't want to get involved with all this Jesus stuff. I don't want to get all carried away with all this stuff. You've been stalling. You've been finding good reasons. Well, the church is hypocrites. Well, da, 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 da. well, I really like this. Well, they wouldn't let me do that. And God is just right now. Listen to me. He Right now, he's cutting through all of that. And he's saying, come to me. Right here, right now. In this room, in this moment. And already something inside of you is starting to twitch. And you're trying to find a good excuse to ignore it. Because God is speaking to you today. He's speaking to you because he cares for you. You've got to realize first that God really does exist, that he really is a real God, that he created the heavens and the earth, that he made everything that we see. And we're designed, human beings are designed by him and for him. But there is something at the core of who you are that separates you from him. And I don't have to convince you of this because you're aware in your subconscious, that God exists, but the reality is that you're just a step too far from him. There's a distance. There's this chasm. There's this separation, and it's caused by what the scripture declares as sin, and sin is anything that is disobedient to God, and it's not something unique to Justin, although I've got plenty of it, but it's something that is inside every human being. And you cannot, no matter how many nice things you do, I don't care if you put a million bucks in that offering basket, I don't care if you serve a million people who are homeless, I don't care if you do every nice thing that could ever possibly be done for every person at every opportunity, you still will not do enough to be holy before God because the sin resides at your core. And so we have this disease that separates us from God and no means in ourselves to get to him until he came to us. And this is the beauty of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago walked on this planet as God incarnate. He came down from heaven to earth, lived a life and identified with you and me so that he could first be identified and then be our representative so that on the cross he could become a substitute so that all of my sin could be put on his shoulders and all of his righteousness could be put on my shoulders and there could be Be a divine exchange in the spirit. Look at the scripture again. It says, we're ambassadors of Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. You're not, listen, you're not reconciled because you did enough cool stuff for God. You're reconciled because he loves you. That's it. Because of the cool stuff that he did for you. Because he loves you. And if this is not totally blowing you away, then you haven't caught the reality of it yet. Look at what it says in verse 21. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus in his perfection and righteousness became sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, I heard a preacher talk Uh, about breaking up words, and it stuck with me. And as I was preparing for this message, it it kept echoing in my mind, this line at the end of this passage. It says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen to me, listen. You know, in the Old Testament, God, uh, they need a name for God. And Moses asks God, you can look it up in Exodus. Moses asks God, he says, God, what shall I call you? You remember Moses, Prince of Egypt, the whole thing. You watched it on Disney Channel or whatever. And so, you know, he says, God, what should I call you? And it's an awesome answer because it just explains the greatness of God. He says, call me, I am. What kind of name is that? Joe, Bill, Mark, like something like that? Could we work with? No, it's I am. That's your name. Okay. Why would you give yourself a name like that? Well, because I was and I will be. I'm forever. I'm outside of time. I'm greater than you. I am. And it's a, it's a, it's the present tense of the verb to be, right? So this scripture says, behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the favorable time. And as I began to to pray and think and listen to that passage and roll it over in my mind, I began to see a picture in my mind of the Lord Jesus Christ opening a door saying, be, I am. Be is holding this door open right now. Be is holding when now. Now, now, God himself is holding a door open. Behold, now is the favorable time. A time where you are able to have favor from him. It doesn't say that tomorrow is promised. It doesn't say that next week's an opportunity. But behold, now is a favorable time. Right now, he is opening a door so that you can walk through on the other side. But tomorrow, that rickety, crazy looking door may be closed. Right now is a moment of opportunity right now is an opportunity to experience His favor and His love. And it is an absolutely ridiculous, crazy love. And before we finish this time today, if you're here and you say, man, Justin, you were talking to me and something inside me is shaking and I don't know what it is, I want to tell you what it is right now. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit pulls on your heart to draw you closer to Him. If you're here in a little while, you're going to have an opportunity to pray with someone to begin that connection with God through Jesus Christ. And you might say, not me, I'm too proud, I'm too cool, whatever. Well, then you'll miss God. He gives grace to the humble, not to the proud. But right now, the great I am is holding that door open, and it's the favorable time. If you're a follower of Jesus, and you're here, and you don't have a church home, get involved with this. Because God is going to do something outrageous here. God is going to do something incredible. But if you're here, I have to encourage you to buckle up. Buckle up because I believe that God's gonna do things that challenge you, that transform you, that make you uncomfortable, but in the end, there's going to be this divine spreading of authentic Christianity for the glory of God and for the transforming of this city. I believe it, I see it, I know it, I'm sure of it. I wanna tell you a little bit about our story before I close, specifically my story at age 16. I wrote down a vision that God gave me. And it was a vision to see a church or an organization started that would spread spiritual awakening across this region. At 16 years old, I wrote this down. I didn't even know what it meant or how I was going to do it or what it was going to happen. But I just began to write it down. And God began to convict me that this wasn't just something I was thinking about. It was something He wanted to do. And at age 18, I remember in college, I was praying by myself, and I wasn't thinking about any of this, and I heard the voice of God one of the clearest times I've ever heard it in my entire life, and I heard him so clearly say to me just one simple sentence, you will see it. And it shook me to the core because I knew exactly what God was talking about, that I will actually in my lifetime see the spreading of a passion for God that supersedes anything I've ever seen, that supersedes anything I've ever dreamed of, that in this region at this time, we'll see it. At age 21, my wife and I started a ministry traveling uh, all over the region and uh, preaching and playing music and doing different things. And as we began to travel, um, one of our good friends... Brian Simmons, who's a former senior pastor of uh, Gateway, who are great friends of ours. We love Todd Skarek and all the friends that we have there. If you know that church, um, they're great friends of ours. And and Brian Simmons calls me one day and he says, Justin, I had a dream and I believe that this is from God. And in the dream, I saw you in New Haven. This is, I was 21 years old. I'm now, today I'm actually 29. And, uh, you know, you're, uh, thanks. You're in New Haven and you're seeing a great, see, I just crushed that one. You're seeing, I wanna get to the point. You're seeing a great, move of the Holy Spirit. 21 years old, he tells me this dream. And you know, I have to be honest, I was like, New Haven, man. Talking about the nation, man. Talking about Europe. We're in, you know, I don't want to be in New Haven. I want to be, you know, and my, ha- my heart at that time was like for everywhere else, you know, I was like, yeah, it's a great dream, cool. You know, and, and but, but God used that dream to actually open up doors to build some relationships and that uh, relationship with a one particular evangelist who taught us how to raise funds, who taught us how to structure our ministry and God began to give us legs through that vision. that that Brian had, seven years go by, and all through that process, we're going from place to place to place to place, traveling and seeing God move in different places, but still at the same time, looking for a resurgence of a community that is authentically living for Jesus. And as we're looking for this, about a year and a half ago, God begins to speak to me in my prayer time, and says, Justin, I've called you to plant a church in this city. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to do that. Like, churches are small here. People don't care about faith in New Haven. I mean, not to the degree that they care about faith in other places of the country, like in other places of the world especially. I said, I don't want to do that. And the Lord spoke to me something so weird that I knew it was God. As I'm praying, I wasn't reading the Bible or anything. I hear this voice in my spirit say, passing through the valley of Baca, they will make it a spring. And I thought, I think that's in the Bible. Like, I seriously didn't even know what that was. And I was like, what is that? And so I started looking, started, you know, Googling it. Passing through the valley of Baca. Sure enough, Psalm 84. And the word bakah means weeping. And what God was speaking to me in that moment was as we step out in faith that now is the time for the soil of this region to change from hardened and bitter towards God to soft and a spring of his spirit. I am convinced that now is the time, that this is the favorable time. Something inside me began to grab a hold of it. And so the, some of us in our, in our community just said, well, then we're gonna plant a church here and we're gonna believe God. And so we began to pray at the beginning of this year, God, what would you have us do? And when would you have us do it? And so we felt like Easter Sunday, April 24th would be the beginning of our monthly services. That's the, uh, you know, uh, Sunday and e- Easter Sunday in April. And so on the 24th, we made this big plan and we rented Toad's Place. How many are with us at Toad's Place? Anybody? Some of us were good. Okay. So, you know, we rented Toad's Place. I think there's actually more people here today than there was then, but uh, we rented Toad's Place and we got everything prepared. And uh, then we took a trip to the New Haven Museum. And we did that because we felt like God wanted to speak to us through the history of this city. And don't you know, as we were walking through the New Haven Museum, uh, we stopped and we saw some history about the city and realized that on April 24th, 16-something or other, John Davenport moved from Boston, a pastor with 500 of of his congregants, to plant a new city called New Haven with a vision to see a region where the church was the center of culture. And here we are on this exact same day, starting this work, and we begin to realize, you know what? I, I think we're I think we're stepping into something that's God. You know, and then we decided, well, we're going to do an outreach to the city, and we're going to believe, God, that 1,000 people will come. And we began to prepare and plan. And in the middle of July, we did this thing called I Heart New Haven Day. Was anybody with us on I Heart New Haven Day? And so this just our fifth thing that we ever did as a church. We decided, well, let's do it like this. And all of a sudden, funds started to come in to fund this thing. And all of a sudden, people started to get behind it. And all of a sudden, we had over $12,000 that we were able to sow back into the city as a little tiny, you know, not even started church yet. And don't you know that over 1,400 people showed up at I Heart New Haven Day and heard about the love of Jesus and something began to shift and we sat down afterwards and we said, you know what, I think, I think now is a favorable time. I think now is the day of salvation. I think something is shifting in the spirit. And here's what I want to tell you is shifting. There is a new cry that is rising up in the hearts of people across this region. And it's a cry for a real, breathing, active, living Christian faith. That's what it's a cry for. And if if there's a new kind of believer that God is stirring that sees bigger than, I just want to have sex and get high. I just want to be successful and have a lot of money. There's something inside of us that's stirring that's bigger than that. It's someone that's transformed by the love of God, that's powered by the grace of God, that is joyfully sacrificial, wholeheartedly devoted, committed to the process of community, that are servants to the poor, that live to see the glory of God and the transformation of our city. This is what we're doing here. And today is an invitation to join us. Today's an invitation to get involved, because guess what? We'll actually be here next week. We'll be here next week at 10 a.m. And I'm so excited about what I'm sharing about next week. Like I said, the next four weeks will be on this blueprint. Who are we? And this is today just big picture. This is why. This is the why we're doing this. Because we believe this stuff. We believe that now is the favorable time. We believe that God's raising up a people that are tired of the process and the false and the fake and are ready to live something that has substance. And we believe that God's doing it among you and among us and among all of us together. And God is raising up a people that genuinely want to know him. I think it's impossible. Right now, every week across the world, a million people are giving their life to Jesus Christ every single week. Just in China alone, 1,200 people every hour give their life to Jesus Christ. Since 1949, in that one country, in China, the number of Christians has grown by 100 times. 100 times. Time. Do you think it's impossible to see actual change? think it's impossible to see your friends that think God is a joke come to Jesus? Let me tell you something, it's not impossible. Let me tell you something, there is a God who can open the blindest eyes. There is a God that can change the darkest heart and the darkest mind. There is a God that can illuminate the conscience of the most bitter person. There is a God that can actually change the soul and he wants to do that for some of us here this morning. And he's gonna do it next week and he's gonna do it next week and he's gonna do it next week because now is the favorable time. Right now in South Korea, there's a church of a million people that meets every week. In Chile, there's a church of 300,000 people. There's spiritual transformation as never before in Africa, in South America, and Asia. And you know what? The God that I read about in the Bible is the God that chose Bethlehem, a little podunk town to bring the Messiah, Jesus, to. And I believe that his eyes are on this little city of New Haven, 123,000 people, over 800,000 people in the greater New Haven area. I believe that his eyes are on this city, and I believe that God is going to do something supernatural and transformative here. Chrissy, you can come up. We're going to pray, and then we're going to finish this, uh, this first meeting. And, um, you know, I want to invite you to come back. I want to invite you to come back next week, and I want you to bring 30 or 40 of your friends. Okay? Your closest friends. You know, uh, last week uh, was 10 years since, um, since two airplanes flew into the, uh, the buildings, the World Trade Center. It really doesn't matter how old or young you were. I bet that you can remember. Just think about it for a second. Do you remember exactly where you were when you got that news? Can you remember? Some of you are like, yeah, I was in kindergarten. You know, I was in Spanish class about to take a test. And the teacher walked in and said, an airplane flew into a building in New York, you can all leave. And at first we were like, awesome, no test. You know, like we didn't know how serious it was. Or, And then for the next eight or nine hours, I sit, sat in front of the TV in my dorm room like this. And you know, I was thinking about this last week on the anniversary of this thing. And you know the story. Most of us have heard all these stories already. But you know that, uh, you know, a number of the planes knew that they had been hijacked and knew that they were going to die. And they had just a few minutes before their plane crashed. And, you know, a lot of them got out their cell phones or took the phone from the, from the airplane and they made phone calls, right? You guys have heard this before? And they called, you know, their wives and their husbands. They called their moms and their dads, their brothers or their sisters, you know. And, and what did they say in that moment? Like, seriously, what did they say? I don't think a single person said, hey, Jim, did the Yankees win last night? I don't think they said that. I don't think they said, hey, make sure you let the dog out. I don't think they said, hey, we had a really good week at the company today. I don't think they said anything like that. You know what I think they said? I think they said, I love you. And I'm not gonna see you ever again, but I love you. And I can't imagine what it felt like, what it would feel like to be in that plane at that moment, knowing that you had been hijacked by terrorists, knowing that you only had a few moments to live and being on the phone with your husband or your wife or your brother or your sister. Put yourself there just for a second and feel the absolutely ridiculous terror that those people must have been feeling. And then they hung up those phones and they only had one person to talk to. And I don't care how passionate you are about being an atheist or not believing in God, even though over 90% of the population in America believes in God. In that moment, I can guarantee you that 100 out of 100 people were then, after they hung up that phone, looking to God and saying, Hi, I don't know what to say right now, but it's probably time that we talk. And you know, I think about that. And I ask myself, why in the world would you wait for a moment like that to have the most important conversation of your life? Why in the world would you stall? Why in the world would you stand next to the door as it's flung open by the great I am and say, you know what, I'm going to take some more time for myself. No, you're not going to take any more time for yourself. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off for another day. Don't put it off for another moment. This is the hour. God loves you. He's cleansed you through the blood of his son. And you've got to turn from your way and follow his way. And he will transform you from the inside out. He will give you a purpose, a hope, a joy, something to live for, something to dream about, something to be a part of, something that is worth giving your whole life for. And he'll fill your heart with acceptance and love and mercy and forgiveness and grace because he cares for you now is the favorable time now, and I urge you, we're ambassadors for Christ, I urge you on behalf of God be reconciled be reconciled to him listen, I want to pray together, if the prayer people are already there, awesome, thank you guys, prayer people are on either side of this uh, auditorium overcome overcome mercy I'm not